0: That's our simple mission. Well, how many of you ready to get into the Word of God? All right, let's open our Bibles. Would you turn over to Mark chapter 11? Mark chapter 11. Man, happy Labor Day weekend, everybody. Happy Labor Day. Um, So, Mark chapter 11 is an interesting account because Jesus is training his disciples, and he's teaching them in a really interesting way. And it's a, it's a two-day class. <laughs> and so he starts here in, um, it's, we're going to start reading in verse 12 of Mark chapter 11. It says, now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went over to see if perhaps he would find some leaves on it or some figs on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season of figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So it's interesting because this is not the season of figs. And yet he's looking for a fig on the tree. So this would be a day and time where people really understood farming and they really understood um, agriculture and when things produce, when they don't. I remember when we did a lot of missions work in the Dominican Republic. All the Dominicans knew when the mangoes were in season because they would disappear. You know, we'd be working and suddenly somebody would disappear, and we'd be like, "Where? Where? What's his name go?" And he's climbing a tree picking a mango because they're in season and he's hungry. You know, so Jesus would know. It's not the season of figs. Well, listen what happens. The next day, now this is is, uh, second class here. The next day in verse 20, it says, Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he he says shall be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. So, Jesus is correlating this fig tree to a mountain. Right? He said, if anyone will say to this mountain, Well, he just spoke to the fig tree. So your mountain can look different depending on what what that mountain is, right? So I want to point out three essential keys that he talks about in teaching the disciples this. The first thing was this. He said to have faith in God. It was the very first thing that he said. Have faith in God. Here's what I've discovered, and see if maybe you've discovered this too. Have you ever had a pain, a a physical challenge, you had an accident, you got a scrape on your knee, and suddenly people around you turn into doctors? You had that happen? You know, and they tell you all the things that you should, oh, you need to get some peroxide on that. Oh, you need to go and get a staple. You need to go get some stitches. You know, you need this. You know, you need that. And They're not necessarily a doctor, but they're enjoying being one right now, right? I think that's what we do as Christians. We see a mountain and we turn into mountain inspectors. Don't we? We examine the mountain. Look how big the mountain is. Look how vast the mountain is. Look, oh my word, it would take us days to go around or climb over the mountain. We begin to examine the mountain when. Jesus said, have faith in God. And we look at this mountain, but there's there's two things that are important for us to remember that whenever we're facing a mountain, whenever we look at something that looks insurmountable, it looks like something that we can't get around, we can't get past. Two things to remember, two sides of the same coin. One, with God, all things are possible. He's bigger than the mountain. Say that out loud. He's bigger than the mountain. mountain. Yeah, thank you. And secondly, all things are possible to him who believes. With God, all things are possible. That's Matthew 19, 26. All things are possible to him who believes, Mark 9, 23. These are two sides to the same coin that we need to understand that all things are possible with God, but it's not just God alone. See, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 2 and 3, there was a leper that came to Jesus. And when he came to him, he said, he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice the question, if you are willing. So he's not doubting that he has the ability. All of us know that God has the ability, right? How many of you don't know God has the ability? Okay, yeah, it's unanimous. We all know that he has the ability. So Jesus reaches out, and he touches the leper, and he says, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. He was fully cleansed from his leprosy. So that tells us right there, God is not only able, he is what? Willing. With God, all things are possible. All things are possible to him who believes. We need to believe that God is willing. He's not just able. Amen? Amen. All right, so he said, have faith in God. What was the second thing he said? Speak to the mountain. Your mountain's talking to you. It's gonna tell you all about itself, how big it is. What a massive problem it is. But he said, speak to your mountain. You know what we have the tendency to do? We don't run to the throne, we run to the phone. We talk about our mountain. Let me tell you about my mountain. Let me tell you how big it is. The sun was setting behind it the other day. I mean I mean it's massive. I, I did I didn't realize we watched that movie Everest. I didn't realize, because uh, Everest, you know, when we were in New Mexico, they were talking about how you're at sixty five hundred feet elevation in New Mexico. That's that's up there. I did I you don't even realize that you're that high, you know, but but then I started thinking about Everest, twenty nine thousand feet elevated oh my word I mean that's like what when you fly in a plane you fly at 30,000 feet that's high that's that's just a side note but people talk about it we talk about it but what are we supposed to do we're supposed to speak to the mountain not talk about the mountain right okay what's the third thing he said he said believe that what you say will be done when my mom uh, experienced a massive heart attack and I went to her house to help dad get her in the car and take her to the hospital I prayed a very short prayer over my mom I remember it distinctly I, I put my hand on her and I said I speak life health and wholeness into my mom's body now in Jesus name that was all I prayed and then I picked her up thank God she's and I picked her up and we put her in the car we took her to the hospital you know and so we went through the whole process And then we, dad and I, we had just received some bad news and I went back to the waiting area and in my mind, I'm thinking I'm going to pray all night long. And so I began to pray and the Holy Spirit grips my heart and he said, you have already prayed, now stand. What is he saying? You've already prayed, believe the prayer that you prayed. I heard uh, Smith Wigglesworth put it this way. He said, if you've prayed five times for something, that means you've prayed four times in doubt and unbelief. Why are you trying to convince yourself of your prayer? Did you not believe the first one? So I'm not saying you can't pray over it anymore. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is your first prayer, the first prayer that I prayed was a prayer of faith. Now I'm praying, God, I thank you that your word works and it works every single time. Lord, I thank you that we are seeing the manifestation of your perfect healing in mom's body. So, it's a, so now you're praying a different type of prayer. You're not praying the prayer to ask again because I'm standing in faith that the first prayer that I prayed worked. Do you see that? Okay, one of you see that, Okay. It's okay. You can talk back. It's okay. You have permission. Just, just don't heckle me. That's all I ask. So, so whenever, so Jesus is training the disciples about faith. He's saying, hey, listen, I want you to have faith in God. I want you to speak to the mountain. And then I want you to believe the things that you say to the mountain. So what he's saying is that the words of your mouth have power if faith is attached to them right? Because your tongue is the guide for your life. Did you know that? James talks about that, and this is a familiar verse to you guys in James chapter 3, verse 4. It says, it says that he, they're associating the tongue to a rudder on a ship, that even though ships are large, they're driven by fierce winds, they're turned by a very small rudder that pilots them where the pilot wants it to go. So your tongue is the one that is the thing that directs your life. And so this is why Jesus, this is why the, the wisdom of Proverbs says to guard your heart. In fact, I want you to see that. Turn over there to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. It says, Above all, I'm going to read it to you out of the easy to read version, and then we'll go back to the King James. It says, above all, be careful what you think because your thoughts control your life. Wait a minute, Pastor Phil, I thought you were just talking about the tongue. I am, but stick with me. Your thoughts, the the New King James, let's see it in the New King James. It, It says it differently. It says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. If you ever wonder where someone's issues come from, Look at what they're thinking about. What are you thinking about? What's going on in the mind? Be careful what you think because your thoughts will control your life. Why, why is this important? Because your thoughts are what produce your words. Yeah. What you think on is eventually what's gonna come out of your mouth, what you meditate on. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Guard your heart with all diligence and out of the abundance of your thought. That's what's going to produce the words that come out of your mouth, right? So this is very interesting. In Matthew 6, Jesus is talking about, don't worry about your life, don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, where you're going to live, all these things, right? But it says in verse 31, before it, it, all of it builds up to um, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. But verse 31 is interesting because it says, therefore take no thought saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. But I want to focus on this phrase, take no thought saying. This is a very interesting thought. And the reason is, is because when you speak a thought, a thought comes, and you give voice to the thought, what you're doing is you're endorsing the thought by speaking it out loud. Does that make sense? Okay, so my wife and I, we bought a printer recently. Why? Because Shaquille O'Neal was endorsing it. It wasn't because of him, but we, he, we saw it because of him. He endorsed, okay, you guys get the idea. So the endorsement, you're endorsing the thought. When you speak it out loud, you're endorsing the thought. So this is why it's important to keep the gate closed, right? Guard your heart with all diligence. Guard your thoughts with all diligence because that's where issues come from okay now turn over with that in mind turn over to 2nd Corinthians 10 because I want you to see this we will go a little further in this 2nd Corinthians chapter 10 and we're going to look at verse 3 beginning there and this is Paul talking about how we as Christians are to fight but I want you to under I want you to see the battlefield what he calls the battlefield this is where the battle happens Listen to what it says in verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That sounds mountainous. That sounds like a mountain, right? Bringing it down. Uh, Casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So our responsibility is to keep the gate closed. If something gets in, it's our responsibility to take that thought captive. First of all, the battlefield's the mind. Think about Genesis. You remember Genesis? What happened there? There the enemy came in, and what did he do? He sowed thoughts. He talked to Eve. What did he do right out of the gate? He questions. Did God really say you couldn't eat of all the trees in the garden? Well, there's only one they can't eat of, and he knows which one they're standing by. it. (laughs) But notice how he phrases that. Did God really say you can't eat of all the trees in the garden? What does he do? He wants her to focus on the one that she's not supposed to eat from instead of all the other trees that she can eat from, right? And so he's sowing a thought. He's getting, he's bringing doubt. That's what he does. That's what he did with Jesus in the wilderness. That's what he's done all along is he brings doubt. He brings what ifs, he questions. What did, did God really say that? Wait, did God really say that? Okay. So so we just found out where the fight happens and we found out that we're supposed to take those thoughts when an enemy brings thoughts like that. Did God really say, how do you take that captive and make it obedient to Christ? You remind him and you say what scripture says instead. Did God really say you couldn't have sex? Well, yeah, he did. (laughs) it's in the scripture let me show you you know did God say so when he brings doubt you're able to say you know what I'm not thinking on that I'm not meditating I'm not allowing that thought Lord I thank you that my freedom is in you my liberty is in you I'm not bound to thoughts right so so here's what the enemy does though is he is he likes to make mountains out of molehills in your mind let me give you an example let's say let's say got my arm here and one day I feel a little bump on my arm where'd that come from that wasn't there before suddenly now I have a bump wait a minute you know I mean could be I'm just getting older I mean sometimes you do get bumps somewhere you know and so I'm just thinking okay a couple of days go by I fill it again to check and see if it's still there. Wait a minute. And that's a lot bigger. That feels like a lump now. See where he's taking you? And and if you're not careful, he could take you from a a bump to a lump to a stump in in a very short amount of time. You could be thinking about, oh man, they're going to have to cut my arm off. I don't know what this is. Could be a tumor, (laughs) could be something very serious. You know, you see what I mean? But he is, he is crafty in how he takes you because the battlefield is up here. The battlefield's up here. Okay, right. So, you, so let me voice this to you. He needs you. The enemy needs you. Do you know what he needs? He needs your faith mixed with words. You say, What do you mean, Pastor Phil? You are created in the image of God. You were created in his likeness. Jesus just taught the disciples, we just read it in Mark 11, how to speak words of faith that they could speak to a tree. You remember the time they were going across the sea and there was this massive storm and Jesus is asleep in the stern and he doesn't even know that it's happening and the storm is so bad that the boat is already filling with water and the disciples come to him and say, Lord, don't you care that we're going to die? And Jesus gets up, what does he do? He speaks to the wind, to the storm, and he says, peace, be still. And what happens? There's this massive calm. Suddenly, everything's going to be okay. But what does he do? He gets upset at the disciples. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? What is he saying? I could have stayed asleep in the stern. You guys could have spoke to the storm. Yeah. Tell me, I'm not wrong. Thank you. Yeah. So. <laughs> but this is this is Jesus saying he's he's letting you know you are created in the image of God how did God create the world and God said all through Genesis we see and God said so we are created in his image i think the cha- the problem has been that many christians have just grabbed a hold of words 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 it's all about words it's all about words So, and so they've come to this conclusion, this idea that if I just say the same confession over and over and over and over and over and over and over, it'll happen. And it's not true because what did Jesus say? If anyone says it with their mouth and believes in their heart, you have to have both. You have to believe what you're saying. And so this is why the enemy needs you, is that if he can get you to believe the mountain you'll begin to have faith in the mountain and you'll begin to talk about the mountain and make the mountain insurmountable. Whew! Wow, that was a lot. we, We hear so much that Scripture says that, that we're not ignorant of the devil's devices, but yet I see the enemy using this over and over and over and over in people's minds that he's, he, he sows thoughts to try and manipulate you to get you to say things that are contrary to the Word of God instead of coming back and finding the promises of God for you and taking that thought captive and not letting it have a voice. But instead, if somebody gets cancer, suddenly we're fearful of cancer. But yet, cancer is no big deal for God to heal. Do you, do you believe he can heal it? Okay, yeah. So, so if it's not a problem for God, why is it huge to us? Why are we treating it like it's an insurmountable mountain that God cannot pick up and throw into the sea? Issues, challenges that you're having. Maybe you're having issues at work. You're having issues in a relationship. You're having challenges, you know, physically, whatever it is. God wants to help you. He needs your faith. He loves you. But we haven't really been taught a lot about faith. Because if I believe in my heart what he said, and I begin to speak that over the situation, then God's able to turn that around. I, t- I shared with you last week about my mom's situation when she had her heart attack and the words that we had to speak. We had, uh, see, I can't be fearful to say things. It's words can, with faith. That's what I got to pay attention to. Like uh, some Christians have become so rigid about what they say that they, it's like they can't even talk, have a normal conversation because they're concerned about saying something wrong. No, it's it's the things that you say that you believe, your faith is with it. It's what we say and believe that makes a difference, you know. But I will say this, there is a side, and it's a, a, psychology has proven this out, science has proven this out, that if you say something often enough, people will begin to believe it. What about the Ten Commandments? Let's take that as an example right now. The Ten Commandments, prayer in school, prayer before sporting events, prayer before any kind of uh, school assembly. Is that legal? Okay, not you that know, but what about, what about the rest of you? I mean, is that, is that legal? Because remember, they were taking all the Ten Commandments out out from in front of the courthouses, out from everywhere, and they were taking them down in the schools. You can't have this hanging in the school. I mean, dear God, a child might see that and actually obey it. That would be a bummer. Things like don't steal, don't kill, (laughs) don't commit adultery. I mean, that would be awful if our kids obeyed that, you know. I mean, but did you know 13 months ago, the Supreme Court overruled the Lemon Law? I'm sorry, not the, not the automobile lemon law. It was the lemon lawsuit um, with the last name lemon. But anyway, and which means that now the Ten Commandments can be displayed anywhere. We can bring them back out. We can put them in our schools. And did you know you can pray before football games, baseball games, volleyball games? You can pray in school assemblies now. Did you know that? The Supreme Court overruled that. But how many people, how many of you knew that before I told you? Yeah, like three people. Does that make sense? Well, now you know. All right. So in Matthew 4, Rebecca, come and help me. In Matthew 4, if you would, please, thanks. Satan tempts Jesus, Matthew chapter 4. I think it's interesting that Jesus is filled with the Holy, the Holy Spirit comes on him after he's baptized. And then he's driven into the wilderness. And I just want you to pay attention to how the enemy approaches him. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil. And when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And he answered and said, It is written. Say that out loud. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Notice how he tempts him. I mean, he comes to question Jesus' identity and dares him to prove that he's the Messiah. And he responds with, It is written. And then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dashed your foot against the stone. A stone. Interesting, these two scriptures are not even together. They're separated. So, but here we have the enemy quoting scripture. There's, there's, there's nothing that he won't try to do. Jesus said to him, "It is written." Say it out loud. He is written. It is written. That's that what I say? He is. It is written. Again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Wonder if that was Everest. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, say that out loud. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. So notice that the devil quotes scripture, he tempts God, but then at the last, he offers him a bribe. He offers them a bride. What what is the enemy saying? I know why you're here. I know what you came for. Because he stole it in the garden from Adam and Eve. He became the God of this world. And so he tells Jesus, he says, listen, I'll make this easy for you. I'll give it all back to you. Give you the whole thing. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. You can have it all back. Let me tell you this, there is nothing the enemy won't offer you to get you to compromise. He doesn't care if you go to church. He doesn't even care if you read your Bible. He doesn't care if you call yourself a Christian or you are a Christian. What he cares is if you actually believe it. See, when we make a transition from which is what Christian is supposed to be. It's a Christ follower. You're supposed to live the way Jesus lived, imitate what Jesus did, live like he lived. That's, that's why he's training the disciples how to talk to a fig tree, is he's training you and I how to speak faith, how, how to speak life over our marriages, life over our kids. I wish some parents would not talk to their kids the way that they do. It breaks my heart. It just literally, it's like, ah, oh, stop, stop. Don't say that. Speak life. We've had, uh, we've had a few people ask us about our, our, our two kids, Zach and Becca, and how did you raise them like that, you know? And How is it that they turned out so well and what I've discovered is that some parents just think it's like a luck of the draw kind of thing they just think you got lucky and you had kids and I was like well they weren't around when our kids didn't like us (laughs) because we made hard decisions that they did not agree with and they were vehemently opposed to you know they weren't around to see that expression on their face but I, I will say this. You know what happened to me and, and Nicole early, early on happened to me, and I know it happened to her in, in, a, in a different way, is that, that I discovered that according to my faith, it would be done to me so that I could choose to have faith that our kids didn't have to have those experiences of, of abandoning the faith and sowing wild, wild oats before they finally come back to God. Although I've seen that as the experience for many parents and I know that is, that can be the experience and and I don't desire for it to be. But I was glad that we latched onto that because what it did for our faith was it enabled us to believe God at a a whole different level in faith. Where instead of when parents were pulling away from their children and doing what philosophy says, give them space, we were pressing in in our relationship with them. We heard that word from Ron Luce, and man, we were like, okay, press in. So you know what we did? We took, when uh, when Becca, my daughter, uh, who's the oldest, when she, everybody thinks Zach's older for some reason, I don't know why, but anyway, but uh, she uh, turned 13 years old. We said, I said, you know what? I wanna celebrate her becoming an adult. And so we did, we, we planned to get together. We invited all of, all of our friends to come, but I wanted her to understand and we read the scripture because I didn't see anywhere in scripture where you go from a child to a teenager. I saw where you go from a child to a man, to a woman. And so we wanted her to understand, hey, you're coming out of childhood into a young adult. We're gonna bypass this whole teenager thing, this excuse to not grow up. And we're going to help you become who God called you to be. It wasn't easy. I'm not here to tell you, oh, it was just, you know, rainbows and unicorns. It was not, whatever that is. But I mean, it wasn't cotton candy, you know. It was, it was, it was tough. It was tough. But when you're willing to do that and you're unwilling to bend on your faith and what you believe you can see the manifestation of God's goodness in your life. I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you. So if you're young and you're not married yet, or you're newly married and your kids are young, man, believe God. Be unwilling to bend on your faith and don't allow the enemy to offer you any kind of a compromise because he'll make it look good. I mean, he, he took... Jesus all the way up to Everson showed him the kingdoms of the world that must have been quite a sight but Jesus said away from me and what did Jesus do for you and I he sacrificed everything he went to hell took back the keys to death hell and the grave he led captivity captive he won the victory He came back to life. He ascended into heaven. He poured the blood on the mercy seat. And if that wasn't enough for you and I, guess what he's doing now? He's interceding for you and me. He is, the Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for you. He's still doing stuff for you. He's still giving his life for you. Ha, oh Jesus.